I'm Carrington Vanston. I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast, isn't it, Mike? Indeed it is, Carrington. And how are you? I'm excellent. Haven't you heard? Um, no, I haven't. Word on the street is, I'm fabulous. Well, apparently I haven't been keeping my ear to the ground. <laughs> you sure? That's where your ear should be. <laughs> to the ground. So what's new in Mike McGinnis land? Um, not a whole lot. This weekend's been kind of busy for me. Um, the One of the local sci-fi conventions took place. Ooh, it's cool. actually winding down today. I'll be heading over there as soon as we get done recording. What are you going uh, to be dressed as? I will be dressed as me. Oh, Oh, I get all kinds of attention. Look at that weird guy over there. And then the police come. And it's generally not pleasant. <laughs> How are things in Toronto? Um, things are excellent. I haven't been to a con in a while, though. I went to a Fan Expo, which is the big sci-fi and horror convention that takes place each year. I went last year. It was my first time going. I'm going to go again this year. Quite looking forward to it. I already have my tickets. Nice. Yep. And th things are awesome. We are recording later than usual, and it's all my fault. <laughs> well, it's a little of both of our faults. Neither of, us, neither of us seem to be able to show up online at the same time. So. <laughs> Mostly because I can't read. Well, Reading is hard. And I usually show up, and if you're not there in like five minutes, I'm on to something else. Oh, he's not here. See you. <laughs> That's what I did last night. I'm like, Mike's not online. Oh, well, I must have forgot. I'll go right. watch Doctor Who. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that was just as much fun. It was. It was awesome. Oh, I do love me some Who. So, but um, we are not here to talk about Doctor Who. We're here to talk about awesome video games. Indeed we are. And mm -hmm. we'll start off with some feedback from last week's game, Satan's Hollow. Oh, Satan's Hollow. We got a, I got a few things said to me about Satan's Hollow. Um, let's see. Well, first of all, uh, we got some feedback from a fellow named Mike McGinnis. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote in a very nice letter. No idea. <laughs> we were talking, or I was talking last week, about how there was a creators chat over at Coin Up Space with Bill Adams, who was mm -hmm. the uh, or one of the creators of of um, Satan's Hollow. And I couldn't find the transcript, but Mr. Mike McGinnis, he found the transcript and he sent it in. It was awesome. So thank you, Mike McGinnis, whoever you are. And we will put the uh, link to the transcript in this week's show notes, and um, Mike's uh, pointed out, <laughs> I could keep talking about you in the third person. That oh, that's it, fine. I talk about me in the third person. So. <laughs> <laughs> that includes all the, the questions and and, and um, all the replies and stuff, but it was cleverly disguised as the questions thread so as to fool those fools foolish enough not to look for the actual chat. So, well done, you. Nicely found. I think the quality of our listenership has dipped dramatically with that email. <laughs> Now that you're listening. Um, Vintage Vaults posted on our Facebook page. Uh, Satan's Hollow, another game whose borderline frustrating gameplay did more to draw every last quarter out of my pocket than deter me from playing it at all. Uh, then again, I could only get my regular gaming fix back in those days by either playing that game at the nearby convenience store or by firing up the Pac-Man cartridge on my Atari 2600 at home. Well, I'm sorry, Vintage Vaults. Just imagine all those times in which I could have been witnessing the splendor, the, the splendid three-color 160 by 192 pixel graphics presented by the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man instead of basking myself in the light of those wonderful Satan's hollow muted earth tones. Oh, yes. Satan's mm. hollow will definitely win between the competition of those two games. If you have to choose between them, it's Satan's <laughs> hollow all the so. way. I do think so. Um He's right, though. It was the case that we talk about, like, games, which ones you liked, which ones you played, that kind of stuff. But a lot of times, a major factor in what one would play the most would be simply availability. You, you didn't, which, will, which will come into play with this week's game uh, when we talk about it later, because it's a game I'd never even heard of before and never played. I guess simply because there were no arcades around me that had the game. So. 
Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did get a couple of other comments on Facebook. Um, we'll go ahead and skip most of those just in the interest of That'll sparing. show you Facebook. That's right. No, no we, we love the comments, but we like to keep our shows kind of short here. Uh, Nathaniel Lockhart mentions that if you take a look over to Tari Age, someone seems to be making a go at a 2600 version of Satan's Hollow. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I took a I took a look at it. They've got sort of like a proof of concept at the moment, and and um, I think only one sprite can be shot or something. The description said, but it looks really cool, like just remarkably good. Yeah, I thought I was very yeah. impressed. Um, we, we also got some feedback by email from a fellow named Craig. We were talking last week about how you weren't allowed to play Satan's Hollow because uh, your parents feared, and rightfully so, that you would embrace the devil and become the evil thing that you have indeed become. Like. Yes, their their concern was, was all for naught. <laughs> no, their concern was well-founded, and, <laughs> and you are now a force of evil in this world. So anyway, Craig wrote in to say, or his email, uh, Pat Robertson sent out a warning this week to beware of D&D and video games that feature magic. I'm not writing to make fun of him or anything. I just want to point out that this is still an ongoing issue, not just something for kids in the 80s. And then he sent us a link, which I'll put in the show notes. Yeah, somebody wrote in, I guess, to his show or called into a show this week asking about that. Like, if you're not into magic yourself, is it okay, you know, as a, as a Christian to to play games that feature them? And he's like, no, it is totally not okay. You cannot play games like Satan's Hollow or Dungeons and Dragons or any of that kind of stuff. So it is still an ongoing issue. Oh, yes. Yeah, very, very much so. Not with me. I, I embraced my evil side a long time ago. and My parents sort of let me play anything. <laughs> so up here in Canada, I think it's maybe less of an issue too. I don't know. Probably so. It doesn't get taught brought up as much anymore but it, like we talked about last week it was an actual big deal like especially the Dungeons and dragons thing like it's just everyone assumed all the kids were coming satanists yeah it's these days our, our violence is, seems to be a lot more secular and, mm-hmm. and less religious religion based which i guess would be the same thing as more secular um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh, you know I, I do remember the 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 satanic panic is what they called it back in the early 80s here you know? <laughs> that's it, awesome yeah it, it, went, it, went, <laughs> it went hand in hand with uh you know the the advent of heavy metal real heavy metal music and D and D and these video games. And they, they thought that the, the, the souls of the gener of the, that, that generation of youth were lost forever. Yep. And they, they were, were right. and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've enjoyed being lost. <laughs> and I got a, a, an email from uh, a Nils Houghton. I hope I pronounced that properly. Uh, he says, Hey guys, my name is Nils. I live in Southern California. He's been listening to our past episodes and he wanted to take a, a stab at this week's game. Uh, he says, I believe this week's game is Zookeeper, a game I used to play in the lobby of the local movie theater before the movies, movies started back in the late 80s. Uh, and then he makes a recommendation for the game Space Dungeon. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. So we'll add that one to the list. And guess what, Nils? You're correct. This week's game is Zookeeper. I didn't think anybody would guess because um, I had never heard of it before. So I assumed <laughs> nobody else had heard of it before. Right. Well, if, well, if you haven't, then no one must have. <laughs> I live that kind of solipsistic lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> where, like I just assume everyone, everyone has my opinions. Everyone has my experiences. I don't understand why you don't just gather around me. <laughs> so oh, totally. One more thing. Speaking of uh, self-centered narcissism, um, <laughs> uh, another redundancy. We, uh, I've been catching up on, um, um, Rob O'Hara's You Don't Know Flack podcast. So good. So yeah. good. Um, and he's mentioned us in a bunch of episodes mm-hmm. uh, and has recommended us to be listened to. So I'd like to say thank you, Rob. And for our listeners, if you are not listening to You Don't Know Flack, well, you should be because it's excellent. 
Yeah, and I think it would appeal to the same sort of same sort of audience. He talks about yeah. a lot of stuff. Uh, his topics go a lot broader than just arcade games, although he t- literally wrote the book on collecting arcade games. Yes, he did. <laughs> um, but he's dealing with the same sort of nostalgic era that we talk about, and he does deal with arcade game topics as well as other things and computer-based stuff. And, and just re- really, really awesome. And I like this whole new thing he's doing where his, his uh, opening ramble is now the same length as a Commodore loading time for a game. It's really fun. So, yeah, <laughs> I really hilarious. dig it. Yeah, good, good, good podcast. Yeah, so thanks, um, Rob. And then we got one last piece of uh, feedback, I guess, and then we can get to Zookeeper, which was totally new to me. Uh, Sarah <laughs> Hayes wrote in, um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Crystal Castles. And so she wrote in to send me a link to Franz Lazinger's presentation at GDC, which is the Game Developer Conference, in 2003. So it just happened. And he did a full post-mortem on Crystal Castles. A post-mortem is sort of a presentation where he talks about the game, the development, what went right, what went wrong, all the decision-making, all that kind of stuff. So he's got this massive presentation all about Crystal Castles. Oh, I wish cool. I knew about this when we did our show. Yeah. Me too. And at the end, he even did an unplugged session where he played the game's music oh, wow. live. So it's totally awesome. So I'll put a link in in uh, the show notes to that. If you're interested in Crystal Castles and you want to see a whole bunch more info than we actually included in our show, <laughs> then it's perfect. I can't believe I didn't find this ahead of time. So well, well spotted, Sarah. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Carrington, tell me about Zookeeper. Last week, when uh, I asked you, hey, what game are you going to do next week? And you suggested Zookeeper. I said, well, that sounds great because I've never heard of it before. And and sometimes I'll think I've never heard of a game, but then when I play it, I'm like, oh, yes, it's that game. I can't always remember. Some of these games are, you know, 30 years old, and I may mm, not sure. have played them since they, since they were new. But this is a game I had never in any way been exposed to. I'd never seen it. I'd never read about it. I'd never played it. It was in no arcades here. I don't know if maybe it just never made it to Canada or just never made it to the arcades I played in. It did come out in 1982. So it was sort of right on that that crash period. And I think that stopped it from selling as well as it could. Because this game is awesome. This game is like <laughs> truly crazily amazing. Uh-huh. And it boggles my mind that this isn't like big like donkey kong big it is a fantastic like witty charming easy gameplay but hard to master sort of thing like just it's a with a great central character i mean it's sort of got everything going for it it's kind of bizarre that this game isn't bigger unless maybe it is big and everybody knew about it but me but i don't know to me i was, I was quite surprised at, at how good this game is for something i had never even heard of before yeah this is uh this is one that i I remember playing a few times, and I don't. Uh, I, I I liked it a lot more this time than I did when I was young, uh, and it may have just been that I was too ADD to be able to for this to be able to hold my attention for very long, which is weird considering how crazy and frenetic the action is. Frantic, totally. Yes. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Um, Although it doesn't ramp up super fast. The nice thing is it's not a game that is like um, some games like Tempest, I find by like level two, it's going crazy. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Where, where'd that rush music come from? But but this game, it it you have a couple of levels before you get to the bonkersness. It, do, it does get crazy, like at least visually crazy fairly quickly, but at least it gives a newbie like me some time to get into it. So the, the basic gameplay idea is that you are a zookeeper 
In fact, you're playing Zeke. He's a, a guy in overalls with a cap and a bushy mus- mustache. Like It's a totally a Mario type thing, other than he wears a button in the art, and the button says Zeke. And I guess that's so we can tell that it's not a Mario ripoff, but whatever. <laughs> so um, a monkey has captured his girlfriend, Zelda. And and like it's a quite a familiar theme. I don't know what is up with the 80s that everybody was afraid that monkeys would steal our women. <laughs> but <laughs> something bizarre was going on thematically in video games. So this monkey has stolen... Zelda, not Zelda from the Zelda games, but just Zelda. And Zeke, the zookeeper, is going to try to rescue her. But first, he's got to corral animals into the zoo. And how it works is there's a central cage in the middle of the screen, and animals are popping out of that. You run around the edge, and wherever you walk, you build, um, you're sort of laying down bricks, and you build a, a rectangular pen a a zoo to keep them in the the various animals bounce around on the inside and every time they touch a bit of that that the brick it disappears and so it's sort of like the the animals are playing a game of of breakout in the center and you're running around the outside building up the bricks now when the animals make it out if they punch a hole and they get to the outside then they run around the outside and you get points for jumping over them so you're sort of corralling them trying to keep them inside you get bonus points at the end of each round when the timer runs out for how many animals you have inside the zoo but you get more points for jumping over them on the outside so the goal is to sort of let them get out and 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 jump them intentionally but then near the end try to corral them all back inside using a net that I thought was just a bat until I read about it. Cause I kept wondering like, why are you thumping these animals with this big white frying pan type thing? <laughs> Turns out it's supposed to be a net. Well, given how weird this game is just in general, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be completely out of sorts to assume that it was a, a bat and be correct about it. Everything about the game is a little strange. Well, and so you get two or three levels of that and then you get to the, the ledges level. I got uh, to the ledges level. Yes. Which is, uh, a little bit different in that you're jumping your way to the top of the screen on these these ledges that are moving back and forth horizontally to rescue your princess Zelda from the the um, from the ape. Um, and I f- I find the the parallels here to Nintendo's titles uh, rather interesting uh, because you've got your 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 princess is named Zelda and your uh, you know which obviously is from the the Legend of Zelda series. Although I don't know, maybe this came first. Um, but then you also have the the storyline of trying to rescue your princess from a giant ape. Yep, which could be Donkey Kong, could be the Mario stuff. Like it's yeah. just absolutely yeah, yeah. So and that that level for me took uh, a little took some some practice, um, and I found because as you're as you're ascending these ledges, the ape on top is throwing coconuts down at you instead yep. of flaming barrels, um, and if it if one of those touches you, you fall off and die. Well, the trick to this one is to get up to the top as soon as possible. Yep, that's what I found the same thing. My, my goal was just to race up there, ignore the little bonus things, and just get to the top. Um, by getting there, you get so much for getting on the platform, and there's so much more for getting to the girl before you get hit by a coconut. Um, and I found the only way to get through that level was just to race up there really quickly. Yeah, um, and once I figured out how to do that, it was pretty easy. Then there was the other, the, the third type of gameplay level, I guess. Which I've only read that. about. I couldn't actually get there. <laughs> Is the escalator sequence wherein you are, again, trying to get from the bottom of the screen to the top by crossing horizontally uh, in one direction, going up an escalator, going back the other way, and so forth and so on, as these uh, escaped zoo creatures are running towards you. And you, again, jump over them and get bonus points for that. If you get to the top, you've cleared the level. I never actually could get far enough into it to 
to get to that level. So I've never seen that one personally. Because uh, you have a few that it's not that they go in a row as well. You get a few of the uh, the regular level, the corralling level um, before you get to the platform thing. And then it goes back to corral stuff. So uh, I didn't get far enough in to, to, to get to the escalators. Alas. I had a hard time also with uh, one of the corralling levels, as you so eloquently put it. Has I a, am eloquent, aren't I? <laughs> has, uh, the, it starts out without any walls at all. And so the animals are just all over the place. Yep. They're just, there's no, like, you just start, I'm like, but how do I fix it? It doesn't exist. And then I started running. I'm like, oh, I have to build it from scratch. Okay. Right. But then towards the end of that level, it becomes a, the challenge becomes trying to jump over animals without landing on other animals until you can get a net and start sending them back to the, right. to their cages. And I should let people know, like, there's a, a fuse. It's a timer, but it's kind of a fuse running along the top. Like, the, the games, each level lasts a specific amount of time. So it's not about getting all the animals in or out or whatever. You're just going to play for a certain amount of time and try to survive during that period. And at the end, you get bonus points when the time runs out for how many animals are inside the corral. As that fuse burns along the top, there'll be certain places that show little little bonuses sort of embedded in the fuse. And when the fuse hits that, then that bonus item appears in the in gameplay. So a lot of times it's just like fruit or whatever. You get bonus points. But sometimes it's that white. It's supposed to be a net. I swear it looks like a stick or a white frying pan, but there's that thing. And so when you grab it, you can run around and you bonk all the the, the animals <laughs> and then they go back inside. So a lot of times it's about, I guess, trying to let them all out so you can jump over everything and try to survive the frantic running, but then get that net and get them all inside by the by the end of the level. Um, it, it gets really frantic, though. Even the main info file describes this thing as a white mallet rather than a, a net, but I'm pretty sure it's actually in a net. Yeah, I only knew it's a net because um, John Morgan, who is one of the main developers, uh, a fellow interviewed him, and I'll put a link in the show notes over at uh, dadgum.com. He, uh, he gave his story of Zookeeper. So he's got a whole story he tells about the development of the game. The original idea, which was by somebody else, was that it was going to be a crab. And so inside the, the area was um, eggs bouncing around, little smiley-faced eggs that would do the same thing. They would eat away at the, the outside, which is sort of sand, and you'd be a crab running around the outside. And then when the eggs got out of the pen, they would turn into tadpoles, and they would so they'd sort of evolve or whatever. <laughs> and so then you'd have to run around. So same sort of idea. But then there was no way with their development system to actually get art into a game. So the first thing they had to write was software that let you create the art using the joystick and buttons so you move around and create the art one like a different game sort of programmed in one pixel at a time so they hired an animator to do that and do the animated bits and stuff and but he slowly the game sort of evolved into this other idea that it would be different sorts of animals and he said well if it's gonna be animals we might as well make it a zookeeper and stuff and so you can read sort of the whole development process and ideas they went through it's really really fascinating so i'll stick a, a link to that in the show notes yeah, uh, John Morgan, I, I read this interview as well. He's actually a really good storyteller, mm -hmm. um, even if you're not interested in the game itself, uh, just kind of the history of how a video game like this gets developed. Uh, he tells a great story, and it's definitely worth reading. And, and the final paragraph of this uh, interview, he, he goes on to say kind of what you did, that, that, that it wasn't distributed well because of the crash. Uh, and, and he says, as, as the, cash the cash box is a cruel mistress, it is indeed. If you think the end is good, I, I think 
what would convince people to, to read this is, let me read you the first two sentences. <laughs> yes, In 1982, Keith Egging was the director of creativity or some weird title like that. He always had a human skull on his desk, which opened up on a hinge and was filled with Hershey's kisses. Like if that doesn't make you want to read this story, I mean, like, it's such a good opening. Yeah. So I just, I just got completely hooked. I was like, oh, this is totally awesome. Yeah, totally worth it. Uh, the so you end up encountering a total of six different animals uh, in the game. They each are have a different level of ferocity, I suppose, if you can call it that. Uh, you start with the elephant. You get 250 points for, for sending him back to the cage. The snake is 500. The camel is 1,000. The rhinoceros, 2,000. The moose, 4,000. And the lion, between 30 and 60,000 points, depending on how you get him. But then I guess you get, you get multiples for jumping over more than one animal at Indeed. once. Indeed. Yes, apparently it's possible to jump over jump over up to 11 animals which will land which which will get you a grand total of a million points yeah it's crazy so i mean really all the big point i'm going to give point ideas here even though my score sucks but (laughs) supposedly all the really big points are about letting all the animals out and then um and jumping like you're getting so much more for that than trying to keep them corralled and on the inside but i found it got so frantic i was much more concerned with just trying to get rid of the animals yeah i noticed that as you progress through those corral levels the speed picks up considerably mm-hmm. as you're running around one good thing is that when the animals come out they always go the opposite direction from you and he yes. talked about that in his story which is what made me realize that that was what was going on a lot of times if you're if you have sort of a pit and things are coming up one of the big fears is something will come up and come directly at you and you won't have time to deal with it and they found that that was a problem in in testing the game so they made it always go the other way so therefore you can sort of if you can get just a small hole going all the animals will come up and then be going the same direction which can help line them all up so that you can jump over a whole bunch so it's sort of done intentionally uh, once i learned that that was the case i got less afraid of standing right at the edge of a pit and just letting the animals out now getting back to scoring for just a second here um did you find the uh <clears throat> i guess the, the 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 secret uh on the the uh, ledge level for scoring extra points <laughs> nope okay so what happens is on the coconut boards or the, the the ledge boards when you jump to the top ledge you get a bonus if you right. jump off and then back onto it again the bonus doubles oh really i could have just kept getting that bonus and if you do it again then it goes up to four times and you can you can keep exponentially doubling your bonuses all the way up to three hundred thousand points no when you hear my score you'll know that i clearly did not get that <laughs> so that's that's a tip if you want to you want to add up some points now this this was a recommendation recommendation i got from someone on twitter um i I was not able to <clears throat> do that without getting hit by a coconut. Oh, yeah, because the monkey's right there on that top thing. Like, he can whip a coconut at you pretty easily. Right. The The recommendation on this, though, is to do it on, on the level. So, getting back to John's story again, there's a, uh, one of the ledge levels is invisible, and, and this, as originally written, was a bug. But they went ahead and left it in there as a feature. Uh, so, a couple of the levels are... Uh, the ledges are actually invisible as you're... It's like Gravatar, where they say, right. well, I hope you've been memorizing as you right. go, because now we're taking away right. the art. But apparently this this bonus doubling thing works best on the invisible ledge level. Well, why wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, Zookeeper comes with a two M6809 CPUs at 1.25 megahertz and another uh, CPU, this, the M68705 at 1 megahertz. It has a, uh, an M6802... Uh, sound CPU. It has d- uh, discrete sound circuitry. The uh, screen is 256 by 240. It's a horizontal orientation rather than the standard vertical. Uh, it's a four-way joystick with a jump button. So that's an interesting combo because it's still just 
82. It's a four-way with one button, so it's really like old-school setup, and yet it's a horizontal rather than a vertical monitor. Mm-hmm. That's an odd combo. I would, have, I would have thought that this would be a vertical game. The cabinet mm-hmm. itself is pretty interesting. Um, Talk because, about the cabinet. Well, because usually these, these Taito games just had sort of the Taito generic lettering on the side. They were so big into their kits. But this one actually has blue and orange side art. That's uh, you know, such a, a very different color scheme than most of the time. There was a, a conversion kit, too, for kicks. So a lot of kicks machines could have been re- converted into this. The... It's, there's supposedly color side art too, but I've never seen it. And I suspect that that is not vintage, that somebody's just come up with color side art and um, did it subsequently because I don't see anything in the literature about anything other than just the blue and orange side art being, you know, the historical stuff. So the cabinet also has a reputation for the art flaking off a lot and the board going bad. It's another one of those ones where the the battery leaks and leaks all the way down it. So it's really hard to find a kit in working condition. This game's very popular amongst the collectors, but also is really flaky, so it's hard to keep working. So usually if it's being sold, it's because they're just giving up on keeping the thing going and has this really cool feature where the instructions which are right above the control panel uh, which is where they often are for games um they're they're actually backlit so it's really cool because it it glows and you can really see the instructions nice and clearly even in a dark arcade which is a cool feature but unfortunately the heat of that actually eats away at the paint so it's also hard to find one that's in good condition there so it's it's a it's a cool but but you know uh finicky cabinet yeah, it sounds like uh, probably something they certainly would have had no way to predict what happened 30 years down the line. Right, yeah. Uh, you had mentioned that um, that uh, there's a conversion kit for Kicks. Uh, yes. That's, and that's because Zookeeper was one of three games that was actually written by Taito America rather than Taito. And Kicks was another one of those games. Interesting, um, yeah, because I think it uses the same board, but then they added like a coin counting daughter card and some other daughter card or something. So you can't just take a Kicks board. You need a little more hardware. Although there there now exists a, a hacked ROM that sort of gives you an end around on that, that, that uh, the coin processor board. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah, you could, that, you could I, bur- I can see that. Yeah. You could burn your own EPROMs and then you wouldn't have to worry about that. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's time to fess up. Oh, a fess yep. down is more like it. <laughs> so, like I said, I got to the platform level. So, I thought I did like okay for a guy who's literally a total newbie on this. Mm-hmm. But I never got to the uh, the part where you're jumping in the escalators and stuff. Using the tip um, that when I read John Morgan's story that you you can stand right at the edge of a hole and they'll always go the other way and so you can jump more. That improved my score dramatically, but it still only improved it to forty four thousand two hundred. So not that much. Oh, All I, my scores did end in zeros, though. It's another one of those ones where you're yep. getting round numbers. Uh, well, I just barely beat you. Really? I thought you would have trounced oh, me on this. No, no. I got 40, <clears throat> 45,380. Oh, so I was actually really close. You were close. And, <coughs> and yet you, lost. Had you kept working on it, you probably would have. Well, no, you wouldn't. But No, I mean, no, really, I wouldn't. <laughs> because I actually got that score back in like midweek, like Wednesday or so. So oh, I've wow. actually worked on it quite a bit since then. <laughs> and I can't do any better. And I, and I see all these gameplay videos and reviews and people just blow past my score. Like by the time they get to the same place I'm at, they're having scores of, you know, 100 or 200,000 because they're so much better at jumping over the, the, the animals and getting multiple animals on the jumps. It's all about that. Like it's not about necessarily even getting farther in the game. It's about playing better than I play. 
Right. Alas. <laughs> play smart. Play smart, not better or something. Yes, but no, uh, alas, I don't. <laughs> well, again. Um, Good as, game, though. Like, I strongly is, well, recommend this game. Like, as a guy who came to it new and I've never played it before, it was it was a total treat. It was just like getting introduced to this. It, it's like as if I had never played Donkey Kong before. Like, you just sort of missed it. And someone says, hey, play this out. You're like, oh, my gosh, this game is fantastic. <laughs> Well, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast with you is because, you know, in, in, in addition to making sure that I spent time playing these, these vintage games, it would hopefully introduce me to some new titles. Or so far, it's mostly just you introducing me to new titles. No, okay. <laughs> you well, should have picked is, a total a guy who wasn't such a new well, measure co-host, this is, dude. This is, this is one that I hadn't played in a long time. In last week's game, I wasn't allowed to play. So. Right. Uh, the, and the thing uh, is, I knew about Zeke, although I didn't know about this game. So I guess Taito really wanted to try to make Zeke a Mario kind of like he, oh, he was yeah. promoted heavily in the in the the ad campaign that kind of stuff. And there's this really really cool arcade game called Ice Cold Beer that <laughs> isn't a, a video game. Instead, it's this mechanical game. Imagine a, a vertical board in front of you with a whole bunch of holes drilled in it, and then you have a a, a a physical platform that just running horizontally across and there's a, a marble kind of balanced on it and you have two handles and you lift up the left and right sides of the platform sort of wiggling it up and so the the ball is going to roll back and forth and you're trying to avoid the ball falling through any of those holes and you have to make it fall through the correct hole so anyway it's called ice cold beer popular in bars because then if you got to like the highest part you're supposed to get like a free beer or something but they came out with a version that wasn't beer based so so that wouldn't only be you know good for bars and stuff and it's called zeke's peak and it's the same zeke so i like i i've played a game starred sorry this character but i didn't know that it was a character from from this game nice yeah well as uh as is becoming the disturbing trend on this show uh the official record holder for this game has no danger from us (laughs) uh sean cram holds the record 21,849,650 21,849,650 points. I honestly thought you were going to say something like 4 million or 5, 21 <laughs> no. million. Yes, and this was scored on June 15th, 2003. Okay, so again, quite a, quite a while till I got it, but it's also stood for 10 years now. Mm. But I guess if it's the case that you can get like a million points with one jump, so you just had to have 21 good jumps. I suppose that's So true. I should be able to do that no problem. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the game was ported to Microsoft Xbox, Sony PlayStation, and is available on your PC for Microsoft Windows on the Taito Legends release. Okay, so I've never played the Taito Legends thing, so I guess maybe that's why. Because, it, it, well, I don't think this was ported super wildly at the time, like on, on vintage computers or something. Because, honestly, I had never encountered this game or even this kind of gameplay before. Well, it looks like those were the only ports to the right. Xbox, the PlayStation, and Windows, so... It deserves more than that. Like it's so much better than than its uh, its popularity would 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 tell you. Like it's such a good game. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I, I've really had a great time playing it this week. I dig it too. I dig it a lot. Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end of Zookeeper talk. Oh, Zookeeper! Um, and that means here's next week's music. All right, so thank you for podcasting with me, Carrington. Absolutely. This was this was totally a treat this week, like getting to play a, a brand new game I'd never even heard of before. So very, very, very fun. Awesome. And I will talk to you next week. Have a good one. You too. Goodbye, everybody. 
You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, why not head over to iTunes where you can leave us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find the show. You can also interact with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, or follow us on Twitter at NoQuarterShow. Feedback to the show can be sent to feedback at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain.